We are disciples making disciples. That's it. And while this mission is very simple, it can manifest itself in a thousand different ways. To accomplish our mission, there are three components that must be in place. Vision, leadership, and resources. The church must have a clear vision as to what it means to be disciples making disciples. The church also needs men and women who are willing to take heart ownership of this vision and are willing to take a leadership role in the accomplishment of this vision. Finally, the church needs resources to make this vision a reality. A vision that is never resourced is only a pipe dream. In many churches, budgets are rarely connected to what they actually value and capital campaigns are almost always solely connected to building projects. But what if a church had a resourcing plan that was attached to vision and not projects? A resourcing plan that was easy to understand and one in which everyone could participate. A resourcing plan that would unify the church, create significant momentum, and make the future vision a reality. Well, I am excited to tell you that God has led in response to our prayers. We have such a plan in place for the future of Crossroads, and it's called All In. Over the next two years, our vision as a church will be understood in three simple categories. First of all, we want to be all in for our city. This includes both the upgrading and expansion of our campus and facilities, the creation of new multi-site ministries, and underpinning our cash reserves. Second, we want to be all in for our world, moving forward toward our goal of giving 20% of our budget to local and global outreach. Third, we want to be all in for you, elevating and advancing discipleship in the lives of all God's people at Crossroads, giving every person who calls Crossroads their church home the opportunity to grow and be blessed. In order for this vision to become a reality, all of our people must respond to the all-in challenge to grow in their discipleship by uniting together to lead the way in resourcing this vision. Even though this vision will be achieved in three different ways, it is one vision for one church, and therefore we propose that it be resourced by one fund. One fund that provides for both our annual budget and our vision. The challenge for our Crossroads Church family over the next two years is to provide $25 million to resource both our operation and our vision for the future. This is the God-ordained time. This is a God-honoring vision. This is a God-led plan. This is All In. Well, good morning, everyone. I know that all of you are familiar with uh, Barry White. Uh, you've heard that name, you've heard his voice, very distinctive voice. You know, I, ever since I was a very young man, I always wanted to have a preaching voice like Barry White. And the Lord has answered that prayer this weekend. <laughs> I've got the Barry White voice this weekend. <laughs> We're investing the first two months of the new year, 2015, to internalize a challenge from God's Word to go all in. Seven weekends to help us all resolve to become totally committed disciples of Jesus and to be totally committed in making disciples through our church. I read the other day that the two most popular New Year's resolutions are number one, to lose weight, number two, to begin an exercise program. In other words, people have a strong desire to get in shape. And so gyms all over the country are flooded with new members during the month of January. It's estimated that most fitness centers will see a spike in traffic as much as a 40% increase in activity. 
But if you wait just a few weeks, the lines at the treadmills and the stationary bikes and the weight machines are likely going to go away, and the only thing thinning down will be the crowd. Statistics show that as many as four out of five people who start in January will not be there by the end of February. Bankrate.com says that unused gym memberships are among the top ten money wasters. So why does this happen? Well, it happens because people are not all in. Oh, they, they walked in the gym and they went in the locker room and they even put on the new gym clothes they bought with their gift certificates from Academy Sports or Dick's Sporting Goods. And they walked in the weight room and they walked in the cardio section. They may have even lifted some weights, pedaled some wheels and walked or run some miles. And they did all that in the gym, in the fitness center. So they were in. They were in, but they were not all in. And there's a world of difference. And I'm afraid what is observable in the realm of a person's physical fitness also happens far too often with a person's spiritual fitness. The same pattern is often observable in the church. And so quite often you will have someone who will find their way into church on the first weekend of the new year. They made a New Year's resolution that they're going to put the Lord first in their lives in 2015. They're going to get the family back in church. They're going to start reading the Bible more, going to start praying more, going to start listening to Christian music more often. Starting this year, things are going to be different. They're going to live for Jesus. So they walk in the building and they walk in the atrium and they walk in the worship center and they sit in a seat, but they're not all in. They're in, but not all in, like some of the folks at the fitness center. In a matter of weeks or a couple of months, they're done. In fact, this is presently an identifiable and growing group of people. A few months back, you may remember, I preached a series of messages on reaching the nuns, the people who claim to be nothing, people who claim to believe nothing. Well, there's now a new population. It's not the nuns, it's the duns. These are people who were once active, who are leaving the church. They are done. In fact, there's a book coming out in 2015 by a young man named Josh Packard entitled Church Refugees, and it deals with this very subject. So why would this happen in the life of the church? Well, it happens in the life of the church for the same reason it happens at the gym. Some people aren't all in. More than 100 years ago, an unknown British revivalist issued a holy dare that would change a life, it would change a city, it would change a generation. Here's the statement that was made. The world has yet to see what God will do with and for, and through, and in, and by the man or woman who is wholly consecrated to him. Now, when Dwight L. Moody heard those words, they didn't just bounce off his eardrums, they didn't just fire across his synapses, they didn't just 
register in his auditory cortex. They shot straight to his soul, and they defined his life from that day forward. It was Moody's all-in moment. And from then on, Moody personified consecration. Dwight L. Moody left an indelible imprint on his generation. In the late 1800s, his sermons contributed to a worldwide spiritual awakening. And he, being dead, still speaks through the Moody Church, through, through the Moody Bible Institute, through Moody Press in Chicago, Illinois. Moody left an amazing legacy. But it all started with a call to consecration, and it always does. Nothing has changed. It was Moody's all-in moment that made the difference in his life. So could these seven weeks be your all-in moment? Why not? Why not you? Why not now? Anytime God's about to do something amazing in our lives... He calls us to consecrate ourselves to him. And this pattern was established right before the Israelites crossed the Jordan River and took possession of the promised land. You see it in Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecration. It is about setting yourself apart. It demands full devotion. For us as Christians, it's dethroning yourself and enthroning the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a denunciation of self-interest. It is giving God veto power in your life. It's surrendering all of you to all of him. It's a simple recognition that every second of your time, every ounce of your energy, every penny of your money is a gift from God and for God. Consecration is an ever-deepening love for Jesus. A childlike trust in the Heavenly Father and unquestioned obedience to the Holy Spirit. Consecration is going all in for the all in all. You know, one of my greatest concerns as a pastor is that people can be in church every week and never go all in with Jesus. They follow the rules, but they never follow Christ. They want everything God has to offer without giving anything up. They want to buy in without selling out. And we meet someone like that in our Bible text today. And I've got to warn you, again, this week, this is a very troubling passage that we're going to look at. It was troubling for the wealthy young ruler. It was troubling for Jesus' disciples when they heard it, when they saw it. And it's troubling for us. It just seems too radical. It's just too extreme for our moderation-preferred taste. But again, this week, again, this week, the tension that is in this passage impresses the vital reality uh, on our hearts, the truth that's often more impactful if it's unvarnished, you know, the truth that is often more impactful if it's undiluted. And so Jesus is about to leave town, and this is this man's last chance to ask him 
a question to meet Jesus face to face and Mark records that he ran up to Jesus he fell on his knees before him it's a picture of urgency it's a picture of sincerity it's a picture of humility and we pick up on the account in Luke 18 beginning in verse 18 a certain ruler asked him good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life why do you call me good Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. And I would add there parenthetically that Jesus was saying to him, in effect, do you believe that I am God? You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man with great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is. For the rich to enter the kingdom of God, indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, Lord, we've left all we had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. It's a familiar encounter. It's recorded in three of the four gospel accounts between Jesus and a very rich and influential young man. And the meeting begins so positively, but it ends so negatively. At first, the rich Young ruler is impressive, both personally and religiously. But in the course of his interview with Jesus, his heart is exposed. And we see that he is actually the antithesis of all in. His material values and priorities are exposed. And so his life graphically illustrates the truth. If we hold out on Jesus, we miss out on everything God wants to do in us everything he wants to do for us, everything he wants to do through us. Mark Batterson puts it this way. He said, I haven't met many people possessed by a demon, but I've met a lot of people possessed by their possessions. They don't own things, things own them. And the emptiness in this man's soul was evidenced by his question. He asked Jesus, what am I missing? What do I lack yet? Why was he, why was he unfulfilled in his life? because he was following the rules but he wasn't following Jesus and this is true for too many people in too many churches and that's why some become duns like the rich young ruler they walk away from Christ by walking away from his bride the church And the story of the rich young ruler is one of the most disappointing in the Bible because he had so much upside potential. 
Think of it. He could have leveraged his resources. He could have networked with his friends. He could have leveraged his energy for God's kingdom. But he wanted to hoard his wealth, use it for himself, at least to maintain control of it. So did you notice that when Jesus began reciting the commandments, that the rich young ruler cut him off? He said, all these kept things I've kept since I was a boy. He cut him off before Jesus got to, you shall not covet. But his tight grip on his possessions didn't make him happy. It made him sad. In fact, we read those exact words. He went away from Jesus sorrowful for he had great wealth and he couldn't bring himself to loosen it. So his possessions, which were his greatest asset, became his greatest liability because he would not Leverage them for God's purposes. Now, this young man actually passed the test with flying colors. When it comes to sins of commission, he had consistently kept the commandments. Jesus did not correct him when he said, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. He did well on sins of commission, but it's the sins of omission where where he was failing, where he broke down. It's what he could have done. It's what he should have done with what he had that he never would. So now as an earthly father, I love it when my kids don't do something that is wrong. I love that. But I love it more, even more, when they do something that is right. Well, God had prepared good works for this young man to do using what he had entrusted to him, and he's prepared good works for us to do with what he has entrusted to us. And the wealthy young ruler was pretty good. He was pretty good at playing defense with his godliness, but he was lousy at playing offense with his godliness. It's not that he had done things that were wrong. It's just that he wasn't doing anything right. He was hoarding instead of giving. He was protecting instead of investing. Sounds a whole lot to me like the parable of the bags of gold. You know, Jesus told about the one servant who got the one bag of gold. You remember what he did with it? He just dug a hole in the ground and put the the bag of gold there in the ground and covered it up. And when the master returned, he dug it up and returned it to him. He had not lost a penny. He broke even. He didn't lose anything, right? But Jesus calls him wicked. Wicked, why? Because he didn't use what was entrusted to him for the master. He didn't push his chips to the center of the table. He didn't go all in. And that's what Jesus is challenging the rich young ruler to do, just like he challenged Abraham last weekend. Look at the way Mark says it in Mark chapter 10, verse 21. I love this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Don't overlook that. Don't step over that. Don't read over that. Look at that before you get to this. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Why did Jesus tell him that? Because he looked at him and he loved him. Now let's be honest. Have you ever kind of felt bad for the rich young ruler? (laughs) Because money wasn't the only thing that Jesus was asking him to give up, you know. Think about it. He was also giving up possessions. 
These are the things that money will buy. Cars and houses and memberships and vacations and jewelry. Name brand clothing. And he was asking him to give up status and influence because people make way for the wealthy, hoping it might rub off on them. Or they kowtow to the rich to keep them from becoming their enemies. Have you noticed that people who are very wealthy often have an entourage of hangers-on? And he's asking him to give up power. Wealth buys you deference. The wealthy tend to get preferential treatment. They tend to get their way. He was asking him to give up community leadership. If he gives up wealth, hey, he's not going to be invited to the A-lister parties. And he's not going to be a ruler for very long either. And what about his family, his wife, his children, his siblings, maybe his parents? They, they may not have understood at all if he distributed the family wealth to the poor. So there could have been some alienation from his own family. Jesus, you're asking for everything. Why not start? Well, let's just start with a tithe here, Lord. Don't you think that probably uh, Peter and James and John wanted to get Jesus off to the side here and say, Jesus, wait, uh, let's dial this back just a little bit. Because we tend to focus on what Jesus asked him to give up. And we fail to consider what Jesus offered him. He offered him an internship as his disciple that money couldn't buy. I remember 15 years ago when our son Kyle graduated from Ozark Christian College, he was looking for an internship. At age 22, he was already married, had a wife, baby girl. And most local church internships were more for single people. Well, he had applied for the preaching internship at the Southeast Church, and they chose him, but at that time, their stipend for interns was not adequate for a married couple with a baby. But Kyle decided that's where he wanted to go. So he subsidized his preaching internship at Southeast out of his own pocket that year to the tune of $8,000, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a substantial amount of money for a new college graduate with a young family. He went all in. And I guess you could say the rest is history. His church planting ministry... His preaching ministry, his video ministry, his writing ministry, his conference ministry, the ministry he'll be doing in Haiti these first two months of 2015 with his family, taking his family for two months to the poorest country on the planet. It's all the result of a single decision to go all in, all in. Needless to say, these experiences that he's had were worth the sacrifice and that would have been the story for the rich young ruler too. It would have been if he had gone all in. So if you feel bad for the rich young ruler, it shouldn't be because of what Jesus asked him to give up. It, would, it should be because of the opportunity that he passed up. That's what you ought to feel bad about. You can't help but wonder what his life might have been like. Batterson observes that the average person in that day traveled no more than 30 miles from home. But the disciples of Jesus 
who went all in were sent to the ends of the earth. Uneducated fishermen who would have lived their entire lives within a stone's throw of the Sea of Galilee. They traveled all over the ancient world. They turned it right side up and they have been revered by billions to this very day. And they went hiking and fishing and sailing with the Son of God. And they had box seats for every sermon that he preached. And they got to hang out with him 24-7. And they didn't just witness the miracles. They filleted that miraculous catch of fish. They fried it. They ate it with Jesus. Put that on your bucket list. (laughs) And what about the opportunity to walk on water? They may have been poor in terms of material possessions. But they accumulated a wealth of experience unparalleled in human history. And the rich young ruler forfeited these experiences all because he wanted to hold on to his possessions. So the words of Jesus upset the rich young ruler. And the words of Jesus upset some of us. The natural man responds to this passage by saying, hey, that doesn't mean that everyone should sell everything they have, give it to the poor, does it? If everyone did that, it would result in economic chaos. Maybe. But why do we even pose the question? Do we too feel possessive of what we have? Do we fear that Jesus may ask us to do something that would cost us too much, what are we afraid of? What do we fear? I think we fear because we know that that we're not fully surrendered. But the words of Jesus to the rich young ruler are consistent with what he had been saying to his disciples throughout his ministry. Look at his words here from Luke chapter 14, verse 33. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And then what about this in Matthew 13? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found the one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And then Luke 9, 24, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Don't you know that this uh, rich young ruler would eventually become (laughs) a rich old ruler? And I don't know what thoughts he had as he reflected on his life from a wheelchair or a rocking chair from a sick bed or a deathbed, but I've got an idea. He probably relived that moment when Jesus said, follow me, and he decided to take a pass. The moment that Jesus invited him to be his disciple, he said, no thanks. It was the opportunity of a lifetime, but he didn't go for it. He held on to his chips instead of pushing them to the middle of the table and going all in. It was a bad decision. And our bad decisions during our lifetime will become bitter reflections of regret in our latter years. 
It was the well-known Scottish preacher Peter Marshall who said that when weighing any important decision, he would always ask himself this question, of what shall I think of this in my dying hour? So when you look back on your life, your greatest moments will be the moments when you went all in. And this, uh, this message today is not so much a sermon to hear as much as it is a, a decision to be made. At some point in this series, you are going to feel the Holy Spirit prompting you to act decisively in some area of your life to go deeper, to live higher. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Obey it. There comes a moment when you have to throw caution to the wind. There comes a moment when you risk it all. There comes a moment when you draw a line in the sand. There comes a moment when you push your chips into the middle of the table and you go all in. This is that moment. This is your moment. It's all or nothing. It's now or never. Will you stand with me for prayer? Our Father, we, so often when we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see Jesus encountering real people just like us, uh, we are convicted. And Lord, we saw it last week, and we see it again this week. The clarion call from you, from the Lord Jesus, from the Holy Spirit ultimately to, to go all in. Lord, uh, I know it's possible for us to just live a day at a time and to deal with all the superficial stuff of life and never have an all-in moment. But I pray that we would weight things differently. We would value things differently and we will see these weeks that we spend together, these seven weekends, as opportunities for us to look at uncomfortable passages, to look at teaching that calls us to more self-sacrifice, to deeper discipleship. And so, Lord, uh, we don't want to hold back. And uh, so we thank you for this season to go deeper with you and to go deeper into the things that matter most for life and living now and eternally one day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.